0: DIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. GDIY profiles are bonus episodes that tell the stories of how your everyday handler got into the gun dog world. You'll hear plenty of examples of what to do as well as what not to do and how they learn from those experiences. These episodes are being put out to tell the honest stories that we as do-it-yourself dog handlers can all relate to. If you think you would be a good fit for a profile episode, please go to gundogatyourself.com and complete the contact form, and we may get back to you so that you can share your story. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the GDIY Profile. My guest this time is Jason Hall. Jason, how you doing, buddy?
1: I'm doing great.
0: I'm excited we could kind of circle back to this. You reached out recently, and I know that you uh, recently had a a, a run-in with a porcupine, so we're definitely going to be telling that story a little bit. But uh, why don't you go ahead and just start off with with what we normally start off with. Introduce yourself, tell everybody where you're calling from, and what kind of dogs you run.
1: Will do. So my name is Jason Hall. I live in upstate New York in the Adirondack Mountains. Uh, It's a beautiful part of New York up north here about two hours from the canada border and uh i run a german shorthaired pointer named otis
0: otis the german shorthair why why german shorthair what what kind of intrigued you about that
1: breed um you know when when it came down to getting a bird dog i i um i was looking at uh britney's i was looking at german short shorthaired pointers and and honestly uh guy I work with his dad bred German short hair pointers. And he's like, I get you on the list and you can, you can have a dog now and you don't have to wait. And I was like, well, that's a dog for me then let's do it. Right. And how long ago was that? Seven years now.
0: Seven years. Yeah. So so you're rocking the the seven year old short
1: hair or six year old, I guess. Yes, yes I am. But he's seven. He's seven now. So it was, you know, he's seven. He turned seven in November.
0: Well, let's back up a little further. What made you even want to think about getting a bird dog? Was there something kind of around you that you're wanting to chase specifically or was it just something you always wanted to try?
1: Well, I was I was born hunting and fishing and uh it's just a way of life for us and so we've always, you know, before deer season got around, we always chased uh small game and and there's a pretty healthy uh population of rough grouse here and we get some of the woodcock migration through here. And, you know, I'd always been kicking them up. And when I was younger, me and my wife had a black lab who I never taught to hunt, but I brought her a few times and she'd kick up some birds. And I said, well, you know, I'd like a like a real bird dog and and uh just thought about it and decided I was going to go for it all in and, and get a get a bird dog. I wanted something to chase those grouse a little bit better. Right. So
0: uh the lab how much experience did you gain through the lab of of just working and training and and hunting with a a dog it sounds like you didn't do too much but at least you got some kind of exposure with it maybe
1: I, I did absolutely zero training um I knew some places where there were some birds and there was uh New York does have uh released pheasants every year so a little put and take pheasant so I was just bringing her to those areas that some friends had brought me with and I really knew, knew nothing and just kind of was running the dog. And, you know, she was she was a poorly bred uh, lab that I rescued, but she had fun out in the woods with me. And I brought that dog everywhere. She went she was my fishing dog. She was my hunting dog. And so really, uh, you know, if we were small game and she went with me, but she didn't know what she was doing. But, you know, eventually I decided I wanted to do the real thing.
0: hmm. So you get the German Shorthair, you get on the list, walk me through kind of the steps and mindset you had going into your first dog, whereas you didn't do any training with the lab, you're getting into the German Shorthair, and as you put it, a quote-unquote real bird dog, uh, walk me through kind of the steps and, and how you kind of wrapped your mind around how you wanted to proceed, kind of getting him up to the level that you were wanting.
1: Well, when I first got Otis, I really thought, you know what, I'm just going to I just want to, he's going to do the work. I always figure that uh, these dogs are born knowing how to hunt. And really the big thing was training him in obedience, but, and, and he's, he's a very obedient dog, very well behaved dog, but uh, I didn't, I didn't train him in the finer points of, of, you know, things like woe and being steady, you know, just that kind of stuff. I didn't, didn't teach him to retrieve. In fact, we're still working on that. But um, you know, for the first probably 5 years i really just brought him out in the woods and hunted and he'd point some birds and then he'd uh, charge in at them and and i'd shoot and we had fun and um honestly i i really got more into it cuz i i'm a united states marine and i had a marine buddy that got a brittany and we started contacting each other uh through facebook and it was like he lives in new jersey and it's like hey you're training that dog and i wasn't you know his dog was his dog's really spot on dog and so I had to try to catch up with his dog so I I started going to NAVDA and and learning new things and um, I've probably burned my ears out on every podcast that's on the on the radio right now or you know on the internet and and uh, just trying to gain all that knowledge and I and I just started seeing improvements so he's he's a completely different hunting dog this year than he was you know three years ago or five years ago it's it's been a great, great experience.
0: So, so essentially you just started going out, getting the exposure. If you came across birds, cool, but you didn't really have any kind of requirements or standards to, to meet on your hunt. But it sounds like once you kind of got bit by the bug and you started going into the information and, and learning a little bit more, you you figured out. The style of dog. I don't know if that's fair to say, uh, or at least the style of hunt that you wanted. And so you started adhering to certain standards. What what did you change that all of a sudden you started seeing improvement with him
1: in the woods? Um, the the biggest thing was was steadiness because you know, I'd go to I'd go to the navda events and and he he can find birds. He was always good at finding birds. He's been able to find birds since he was a puppy and he'll point them. And but I'd go in there and he'd, you know, they put out chuckers and he'd point the, the bird and, and then he was after it and he wouldn't stop. And, you know, you, the, the bird would take off, they'd shoot it. He's chasing the bird down the field. And it's like, we got to get through that. And I, I, I tried to, I really just didn't know what to do. And, um, I, I did everything. And honestly, when I, you did the, um, the, uh, woe series, and uh that really brought it in. That's when I everything changed from that, to be honest with you. Mm.
0: Well, what which episode on the Woe series kind of did it for you? Was there one that stood out? Which method?
1: It was 187, the standing woe with uh Ethan. That I, I listened to them all and they were all great. And I I might have incorporated a couple things from some of the other ones, but but really that really worked. And I ended up getting a uh a second collar for um a belly collar, and that it really was. It was a few days, like the dog learns. He th- he knows what to do. He's you know, and he knew what I wanted him to do, and and we got it quick. It was really obviously we had to work at it to make it strong, but within two or three days, he knew what I wanted to do, and and uh, the corrections got softer and softer. To now, you know, we still walk around the yard and practice it, and it was a lot of a lot of yard training. A lot of a lot of 10 minute sessions here. And then then we go back to playing fetch and just trying to keep the dog interested and happy and excited. And and he just wants to work all the time. So it's not like this dog has just like all the other GSPs out there. It's just it's it's drive, drive, drive. He's ready to work 24 seven.
0: Do you think maybe it, the standing woe, as you said, it just made sense to you and and, and it is kind of just a really simple approach, but I think there's some real value into some of these simple approaches to where if it makes sense to the handler, it's, it's a lot easier for them to make it make sense to the dog. And so I think that there's there's obvious benefits to to choosing something like that. Is is that kind of how you feel about that method? Once you kind of listen to it, it's like, well, this makes sense, and so you're able to go out there and make it make more
1: sense to you, to your own dog. Yeah, you know, listening to all those all those podcasts, they they all made sense, and everybody had uh, great points and styles. And I think some of them, you know, we're in that world now where we want everything today, and not work on it hard for tomorrow but uh you know you still have to work on it but I think that was the easiest to understand for me and I think it was the fastest route to to getting where he was and and, you know we're training a you know you can train an old dog new tricks because I've been doing it with him I you know a few people told me I would never be able to get him to where I want him because he was an older dog and that is the farthest thing from the truth because everything I've taught him in the last two years, he's just picked right up on it and ready to go with it. And, and it shows in the woods.
0: I think a lot of people saying that you can't quote unquote, teach an old dog, new tricks. They've, they've never really dealt with an older dog that has the foundation, right? You know, if you have a dog that has the foundation and the obedience to build off of it, and they kind of understand the principles of what you're doing and you're consistent enough you can obviously build off of that. I mean, you know, my my older short hair, she's 9, 10 years old, whatever she is, and I'm still able to kind of go and, and introduce her to new things. Now, she may not be as enthusiastic or quick to catch on to it, But because we have that foundation and I kind of know how, how she thinks and how she comes about things, you can teach an old dog new things whenever you want. It just, you know, they may not catch on to it as quick. Uh, but as long as that foundation's there, you can build off of it.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that, that makes, makes sense. And I think, you know, if, if you worked with your dog on other obedience as a puppy, they have that, that, uh, capacity in their mind to to work through that know how that you work and it's it's a good thing they they really do learn they do keep that that drive and you make it fun and even with this old dog he's not I don't believe he's I actually think he learns faster now than he did when he was a puppy because he's able you know that there's those you know German short hair pointers they're 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 so much so much energy and uh, I think at seven even though he's still Will run circles around any other dog that's uh, seven years old. He, he, his brain is is focused more. He really does focus when we train.
0: Yep. Well, talk to me about you know you you obviously saw some growth once you had a little bit more clear intentions or goals yourself of of the caliber of dog that you wanted to train him up to talk to me about the actual hunting in your area. You know, you said that you guys do have a decent opportunity and and availability of rough grouse in upstate New York. Uh, Talk to me about how that changed. Were you getting more enjoyment and pleasure out of the hunting once your dog kind of reached that level? Or would you say that it it was just kind of par for the course and you could just kind of trust him a little bit more?
1: I would say there's just more trust. He, he's, I can walk through the woods, you know, I see people carry, you know, I I believe in e-collars. I think they work great. It's it's, uh, safe for the dog to carry them. We spend days and days and days in the woods and I never have to send a correction. You know, maybe once in a while, he'll get a little farther away and I'll give him a quick, quick uh, tap. And he he's coming running back. You know, I don't have a, right now, I don't have a uh, tracker. So, you know, I think that's in the line for next year I'll get, get some kind of uh tracking device but uh, he's a close hunter you know he he hunts within an on, on average you know probably 40 30 to 50 yards from me but sometimes you get in some of these thick woods up here and uh they can it can stretch out a little bit cuz they lose you for a second but you know he works with me and he works for me so it, it it works out we're a good team you know he's always in tune with what i'm doing and we hunt from we hunt main we hunt this year. We've hunted Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, and New York, and and he's he's hunting different woods. You know, these woods are a little bit thicker and a little bit bigger than some of the other woods. Even in Maine, you'd think that it's uh, a bigger country, but it, it really isn't compared to the Adirondacks.
0: Interesting. So, do you primarily only chase ruffies and and maybe woodcock, or do you still kind of get out after the uh, release pheasant program at all?
1: Uh, the release pheasant program i did um the, the our county has a uh really good uh, youth pheasant hunt that they put on every year, and so my son being twelve, he can hunt in New York now, so we started last year he was eleven we could hunt in maine, so he hunted in Maine with me. I take him out of school for a week to go to bird camp and it's a great experience for the kids. Uh, my buddy brings his two boys, but here in New York, basically I'll hunt the um the pheasants with the youth program and uh it's, it's just a good experience because i get to work the dog with my son i get up to work them with other kids and you know really fostering that uh love for bird dogs and hunting with with the youth is a real important thing today
0: yeah Well, let's jump on into the porcupine story, because again, you wrote into me, you shared a a picture with me, and and I did just recently do an episode uh, with Seth Bynum, a a veterinarian, talking about how to respond or what you can kind of carry in your pack with porcupine incidents. So your email kind of came in at the the perfect time. So I thought it'd be fun to kind of get your story, uh, on a profile episode to kind of round that subject out. But w- why don't you walk me through what happened to you and, and kind of where we stand now on, uh, the after
1: effects, if there are any. Um, well, it's, it's, it's an interesting story because, um, the week before I was in Vermont with one of my Marine buddies, uh, Nate McCraney and we were out, out hunting. We we're actually sitting in the woods and we we're talking about Porcupines. I asked him if he had ever run into one, just even seen him while we was bird hunting. He hadn't, I hadn't. And I I made the comment. I guess it's not a matter of of uh if you run into one, but it's going to be a matter of when we run into one. And so the week be the week later, I'm I'm home back in New York and I, you know, I'm on Onyx checking every single part of land. I'll look for state land that's near, um logging land because there's a lot of logging companies up here so if you get get in there they're logging land on the state land there's a lot of grouse in that area because they have everything they need there and um, I had just picked I had worked nights that night at, the, at my job and I figured I'd go out for a quick hunt in the afternoon I had to meet my wife at the end of the day so I said you know 20 minutes from home we're going to go check out this new property had some nice uh, hemlocks and ponds and Things that we wanted to find, and so we walked in there, and we didn't get any grouse that day, but uh, but we did uh, we did push a few grouse, and we we're headed back. I only had a short amount of time, so it was about you know two and a half mile round trip through the woods, hunting the whole way. And we're after I looked at Onyx, we're literally twenty five yards from the truck on the way on the way back, and I heard the dog yelp, and I instantly. I knew what it was. I knew he'd gotten to a porcupine. He's, he's probably about 40 yards from me. And I see him doing the, the, the spins trying to bite at himself. Cause he's, he's, he's in a lot of pain. So I called him away from the, the porcupine and, uh, he came to me and I could see him. He's limping on one, the one of those legs he's got in the air. He can't walk on it. And, uh, you saw the picture after I pulled, uh, many, many quills out of them. I sat there probably for a half an hour pulling quills out. There was so many, but uh, he was, he was in a lot of pain. So I had to take a break and uh, you know, it, it was, it was that uh, pinnacle time where it's, it's right before dark. And uh, that's when those, those porcupines are moving, you know, in the morning and the evening. Um, usually when I see them deer hunting out, I've seen them a lot of them deer hunting. They're always up in the trees during the day, but in the morning, in the evening, they're moving around. And it just happened to be that right time and that wrong place. And and uh, well, I don't think he was trying to bite the porcupine. I didn't actually, I never saw the porcupine. I saw him, but uh, he didn't have any in his in his mouth other than one in his tongue. So, I don't think he was trying to bite the porcupine. I think he was trying to smell it because he had a full goatee of uh porcupine quills when he got to me, and um, I honestly thought it was the worst place to get it would be in the face that's that was my impression. I didn't really know anything about it and so, I started pulling the quills out of his out of his face first and just started working on his chest after I got those out. And, and I'll back up a little bit. You mentioned the things that you're supposed to take. They're always, always in my bag. They weren't that day. I I was like, I'm just doing a quick run to the house. I I, I grabbed my final rise vest. It ran out. I didn't put anything in it. I said, so we're just going for a quick run here. And I didn't, so I, I had a small first aid kit, but I didn't, I didn't have any of the hemostats or anything to pull stuff out. So I'm literally pulling these out with my fingers and, uh. And getting poked along the way. Um, I just have some leather gloves on, but and and surprisingly enough, I could grab a hold of them and pull them out. But uh, some of them were a little harder than others. And uh I did break a couple in the chin that we got out right when we got home, but I really worked on them as as fast as I could. and then it was just getting so dark I really couldn't see, and I knew I had to get him home because he was he was in a lot of pain. I'd never seen the dog in that much pain. And he, I've seen this dog run into the, um, uh, hitch on the back of my truck and not, not even stop <laughs> moving. <He>
0: just, <laughs> just bounce you know, off it's of
1: like, it, <laughs> brain damage. And he just keeps running. He doesn't feel a thing. Um, but he was, he was displaying a lot of signs of, of pain and almost to the point of shock. So, um, I knew I had to get him to the truck. We weren't that far away. So you say we were 25 yards away from the truck, but then how do you pick up a dog, uh, of porcupine quills in the chest and legs so um i I managed to grab him i yoked him up by his uh his collar in the back of his legs and put him in the truck and still worried about those quills being pushed deeper into his chest so it was about a 25 minute ride 20-25 minute ride home and uh about 10 of that on on bumpy dirt roads and logging roads but uh we got home, and I brought him in the house. I had already when I got cell service, I called my wife and. I told her what I wanted out in the out in the house. and uh, I'm by no means a uh, a uh, expert at fixing dogs for emergency care, but I was a, a professional ski patroller for eight years. so I have a little bit of idea about taking care of things and I figured you we're know, gonna work go work on the dog as quick as we can. I didn't realize how serious it was at first. Um, I got him home. And I I started pulling more out of his chest, and what what finally triggered my thought of I got to call the vet now, was that um, the ones that were in his leg he had them in his right leg on his joint there was a bunch of quills there they were they all disappeared they were all in his leg I I think he chewed some of them off the ends because he had he now he now he had some stuff in his throat he's hacking up but he chewed the ends off I believe on his on his leg because he could reach it and it was some kind of comfort but that pushed everything in all the way and there was no way to take those out and it looked like uh like a pile of pickup sticks from when you're a kid inside his leg they were just all mangled all over the place inside you could see them through the through the skin and fur just where they were but there was no way to pull them out so those are gonna have to get cut out and i called our vet and the vet was closing and they're like We don't have the ability to take care of the dog in that, that, uh, context. So they sent me to the emergency vet, the emergency vets, an hour away. And, uh, when we called, there was a, was a two to four hour wait by the time we got there, it was a three to six hour wait. And so, um, you know, we called them, we, they don't, they don't do it's first come first serve. So there's no, Hey, I'm on my way, put me on the list. So. Yeah, you know, I was. You know, my whole family piled into the truck because you know that's it, our dog is our family dog too. He's not just a hunting dog. He lives in our house and sleeps on the couch and he's a pampered uh, baby. But uh, you know, my son was worried and my wife was worried and uh, so you know, and I, and I I was very worried. I, I really was worried about him going into shock and having other issues because he was in so much pain and and hacking things up. You know, trying to hack things up and. Uh, so we we rushed him down as, you know, now we're at six o'clock and we're not getting down there till a little after seven. We get him in and uh, we let him wait. the. I don't want to put him back in the in the uh, truck and out of the truck. So I went in and checked him in and um, one of the girls came out and and uh, triaged him in the truck. And he went from at the bottom of the list to the to the. Number three on the list real fast when they looked at him and saw how bad it was. So they got us right in after that. And uh the doctor came right in and looked at him. And uh she's she told me, she says, This is this is actually the worst case scenario right now. This is this is this is real serious and really bad. He's got all those quills right in his in his butt, you know, to aim right at his vitals. And uh that's that's the issue with those porcupine quills, they they migrate and and some had already migrated into them they were already going you, you know they were pretty far out when earlier in the in the evening but by the time we got there there was some they were almost all the way into his chest and some of those pork pine poles were, were quite big so they had some trauma cases I th- there the two dogs ahead of them were trauma cases and they had to go first and for obvious reasons so they they put them on pain meds really quick and then basically said we're going to put him put him in here and and uh, take your family home and we'll call you when he's ready so it was a long ride home and uh and a sad ride home because i left my boy at the at the vets and i had to get my my uh when i say my boy i left otis at the vets and uh and i had to bring my son and wife home and then basically had to wait till almost three thirty in the morning for them to call me and they said you know he's, he's doing a little better but they had a That had cut a lot of holes in his chest. Um, They spent spent several hours pulling quills out of him. And uh, he looked like a jigsaw puzzle put back together with all the uh, staples in his chest. There there was, I I couldn't even tell you how many staples there were. Everywhere you looked, you found another staple where they had to cut them open to get them, because they had gone so deep in that they had to cut them open to get a lot of them out. And, you know, I didn't know that you couldn't do an x you know i'm like why can't you do an x-ray why can't you do a you know cat scan or or something and i guess they can show up a little bit on on a cat scan but it's not a guarantee or an ultrasound but x-rays they don't show up so there's you know there's, you're just going to keep feeling them and, and and checking them out and looking for for quills coming out so you know i brought him home that morning and uh it, it, it was a We were actually worried for a couple, you know, a good ten days. We were—I was still worried about. Honestly, I was still worried about dying. Um, He couldn't eat for a couple days. Um, The biggest thing that was going on was he had something in his throat, and I really believe he had a um, a chewed off quill or something in his throat. Um, but it got bad for for a good two days. He wouldn't eat, and then he started getting um, started getting like a cyst or something on his neck. He had some some uh swelling in his chest. So they had him on on pain meds and antibiotics, but it, it was not cut in um, you know, if you see a GSP that doesn't move all day for days, something something seriously wrong. So I I actually called our vet and they said, you gotta bring it back to the E-Vet. And we went back to the E-vet and um they put him on some serious uh antibiotics is the strongest ones they had and and that really turned him around um within within 3 days he's 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 we he wanted to play and and we got to calm him down cuz he's ready to run again and and just to back up uh day 1 when we got him home that morning he had grabbed a bumper and threw it at me like he was going to play even though he could barely move but he, he wanted he wanted to chase bumpers but uh, we keep the bumpers on the porch so I brought him home and he's just he tosses it at my foot like hey let's go let's do this you know and, uh, but with the with the head hung low and, and sad but then it was it it was uh we got him on those stronger antibiotics um and he took those and you can see the swelling going down in the neck um, the swelling went away in his chest and he, he's 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 Otis again. He's not, he doesn't seem like a patient anymore. Um, I did pull within the first two days, I had to pull some quills out of his legs. You know, you, we were looking at, I I feel him down every day, even now, you know, and the vet said it could be up to a year where you're, you're feeling your dog and all of a sudden there's something pokey coming out and there's a porcupine quill you're going to have to pull out. But, uh, I pulled two out of his leg and, um, one of them, he had come up to the couch and he's holding his paw up. And he's he's bringing. He he came over to have it pulled out. He kept looking at his paw and holding it up. <laughs> Here, we'll, Dad, take care Dad of it I, for me. Let's we'll pull it out, and we got it. We got it out, and uh, I pulled. Then I, I actually even when I was feeling him down, I couldn't feel anything, and. um my uh, my wife made me give him a bath because I had another Marine friend come up for a week of deer hunting last week, and so I had him in the in the bath washing him, and I couldn't feel him before I put him in there. But I found two more quills coming out of his chest, and uh, I pulled those out, and he let me pull them out. And so far, that, that's been I think we pulled out five quills so far, but uh, it's 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 been a it was it seems like the longest road to recovery I've ever dealt with on a dog, but you know he's he's uh he hasn't lost his even when he was hurting and sick he hasn't lost his spirit and he hasn't you know just just couldn't move that well and you know for a few first few days he couldn't walk on that leg and now he now he's back to running and, and being himself again and yeah it's uh i feel like we were going to be hunting soon
0: Well, I mean, it's, it's quite a, quite an experience, you know, I haven't knock on wood experienced it with one of my own, but I have had a couple of buddies, uh, dogs get tagged while we've been in Wisconsin and, uh, it's different for every dog, you know. Some are minor. Some are just kind of pull them out. You're done, and then others. Uh, both my buddies and and yours as well. It sounds like it's uh, it's a lingering thing. You're pulling quills months months removed, weeks removed. The thing that was a little different on yours is is the two that I dealt with. They uh, they were really primarily centralized, like around the mouth. And and the nose, which is, you know, especially my buddy's dry that picked it up and hand delivered it. You know, it it was in the mouth and that was what made his so complicated. But yours, the picture you sent me, it was primarily in the chest region. It's like you said, he he wasn't really trying to take it out or bite at it. It, It's kind of like he was just kind of. What is this? And dancing yeah, around it curiosity. or something? Yeah, just curious. And uh, so, yeah, when we talk about quills migrating, I mean, obviously there are some issues with them migrating in the face and the head, with them losing eyesight and stuff like that. It's the optical nerves and all that you got to worry about. But when when you're that dangerously close to the chest cavity, once it penetrates in there, it can do a lot of damage just by nicking something in there. And,
1: oh, ab- absolutely.
0: It's thinking back on it, what's, what's something that you think back on yourself? Cause obviously the dogs are going to go up on a porcupine. It is what it is. Uh, you, you, you can't keep an eye on them when hunting 24 seven is, is pretty much just having your first aid kit and and your toolkit on you. Is that really the, the only major kind of lesson that you took away from this that, you know, Hey, even if it's a quick, you know, one hour walk, you, you still got to keep that in the vest.
1: Um, that part, partially that, and I, and I always thought, you know, I've, um, you know, you take these dogs out of the woods and they're, they're covered with cuts and scrapes from briars and brush. And, uh, I think that if I had put a, uh, chest protector on them, we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in now. So there's a brand new chest protector sitting there ready for the first day we go hunting. Um, I'm going to run that uh, it, it, there's a lot of things that that'll protect them from, not just porcupines, you know, we're, we're running out with places that could have old barbed wire and, 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 uh, there's plenty of daggers out there from broken sticks that could penetrate our dogs. So I think, uh, you know, I owe it to the dog to make sure that he has the protection he needs. And, and the minimal thing I could do is definitely get a good vest, which I did. Um, you know, it's, it's got good, uh, good leather on the front that'll stop the porcupines and any other cuts that he might get, and and re- not that it's going to completely reduce, you know, completely stop what what's going to hit him, but it'll it'll reduce the amount of quills that the dog gets in. If he was to have another encounter, I think the other thing I, you know, like you mentioned having the first aid, I, it wouldn't have changed the, it would have it would have made it a little easier, but it wouldn't have changed the outcome of going to the vet. It just he still wouldn't have had to go to the vet in the situation. Um, but the other thing is, you know, if, you know, we're always trying to get that last bird. Yeah. I still got some daylight left. If if it's getting dark out and, and uh, you know, you're, you're getting towards the end of the day, make sure your dog's a little bit closer to you. You know, I could have had him. I could have known that I was, you know, 50 yards, hundred, you know, would get a hundred yards from the truck, which, you know, you're closer to the roads. There's more activity with animals there. I could have called them to me and had them, you know, just kind of end the hunt a little bit earlier. If it's that late, you know, if it's in the afternoon, it wouldn't be a big deal. But getting towards that uh, twilight hour, it probably would have been smart to bring the dog in close to me before we got, got there. And I was just letting him do his thing, running around like we always do. Because He hikes the mountains with me and we do the same things. He runs around the mountains while I'm, you know, he, you know if I walk five miles, he does 15 and <laughs> running circles around me. But um, I, I, I would definitely... For now on, if it's getting dark i'll I'll call the hunt before we ever get to the truck and you know I'm one of those guys that walks I have no problem walking back in the in the dark in the middle of the woods and and so when it gets gets to that point we'll we'll call it you know
0: yeah and and that's that's always a tough call you you can of course play what ifs with every scenario out in the woods and and on this because i mean the two two uh porcupine incidents I've had both were around lunchtime. During the days. So, you know, it's while they are more prone to be moving in the morning and evenings, that's, it's not a hard set rule. It's not like there's, there's anybody policing the, (laughs) the porcupines in the woods saying, (laughs) no, not, not your time. But, uh, yeah, you know, you can play those what ifs all the way around. So, uh, you got the chest protector and everything that, you know, especially with as many staples and cuts and while that's all healing and everything, you know, it's, uh, hopefully it's, it's, he's fully mended and and there's no more complications moving forward. And, and, uh, you guys can get back out there and and do what you, what you guys love to do.
1: Yeah, we're ready to do it. So just give him a couple more weeks of healing. We have have a long, long grouse season here. Just be, just be riding snowshoes soon, but, well, I
0: appreciate you sh- sharing the story. Uh, with this being a profile episode, you know I think I've already gotten an answer to one of the main two questions that I ask on on all of these episodes. The the your favorite episode. It sounded like you were ready with that standing woe episode. But was there another episode that you had written down that that really stood out to you?
1: That that's the biggest one. But honestly, they're all, they're all good. You know, I like listening to them all. And I if you can pick up something from every episode, everybody has something to share. Uh, whether it's a profile episode or, or one of your regular episodes, there's there's just so much knowledge out there and and so many people doing what we do that and it's it's nice that we have a community that we all share with each other and and uh you know, I'm I'm growing my community here with hunters and you know, some of my friends that live in other states and we get together and you know, just you know it's a great thing going on here. So like what you guys are doing and, and it's great.
0: Absolutely. I appreciate that. And I, I agree with you, the community. I mean, it's, uh, everybody willing to come on here and share all the information and, and hard earned lessons. It's uh it's a true value to myself and, and hopefully as well to the listeners. Uh, the, the second question is your biggest mistake to date that, that you really learned from it can be from this porcupine incident or just something from uh training wise that you just, you know, well, I'm not going to repeat that one again.
1: Yeah. Um, I think the biggest mistake was, was, uh, it's, it's partially a mistake and it's partially just the way I wanted to do it. But um, you know, when I, when I, when the, when Otis got here, we just, we worked with obedience, but we didn't really work on all those, uh, you know, force fetch and, or whatever anybody wants to call that. <laughs> right. um, and uh, we won't get into that, but, um, and, and, and whoa, such a, such an important thing. And I, I really didn't teach that at a, at a young age. And, um you know don't tell my wife but there'll be a lot more hunting dogs coming up in in the future (laughs) and uh and they'll all they'll all get training quickly I'll let them be puppies and, and and teach them you know slowly but you know when it's time to learn learn to hunt they're gonna they're gonna learn everything right away I'm not gonna just bring the dog out and hunt it this time I'm gonna uh you know you know everybody's you know I we have navda here and you know, my goal will be to have a utility dog and maybe someday a, a versatile champion. It's all our dreams, I guess, if we're in that, that group, but, uh, I really just want to go hunt my dog and have fun with my dog and my kid and my friends out hunting. And, but, uh, having a, having a well-balanced uh, bird dog is important for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And that's, that's what it's all about. Well, uh, again, man, I appreciate you taking the time coming on, sharing your story. I know it's, it's never, Never a fun thing. It's something as, as all us bird dog owners and handlers can uh, attest to, to where, you know, m- more often than not, it's like everybody's either dealt with it, been around it, but everybody's in agreement to where they just they hope hopefully never have to come across that because it is just one of those inherent risks with the activity that we we love to do and love to chase, so they're out there and and uh it just it is what it is. Going hunting there are certain risks and, and you can't avoid avoid them for forever. Eventually that one of those risks are gonna get you and that's why you gotta be prepared the best you can.
1: Yeah, hopefully hopefully our conversation today helps one person with their dog and you know they, they hear something here and that's that's why I contacted you. I, 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 someone else is gonna go through what like your friend and you went through and what I went through and hopefully Hopefully we said something that that, uh, helps them out to at least minimize the the effects of what happens. Absolutely.
0: Well, I'll let you guys go and uh, you let me know how you get in the woods and how he handles. and, And again, hopefully you guys are on the other side of this thing and you don't have any more complications moving forward.
1: Absolutely. Appreciate it.